Thankful to be with you today. It's just, uh, I appreciate Adam and Laura and their leadership. Uh, man, it's just good to kind of just be led about the Spirit sometimes, isn't it? Just in worship, and I was blessed by that. What a great day. I'm thankful that you're here, and we're walking through a series called Challenges. Our pastor has been leading us through that, and here's what I know about some of you. Some of you run to a challenge. You like a good challenge. And some of you run as far away from challenges as possible. You're like, I do not like challenges and I remember my a coach in high school talking about challenges, and he would always say this, man, if it were easy, everyone would do it. Man, if it were easy, everyone would do it. You know, we'd try to be facing the challenge, and, and that's the truth, right? Because life is not easy, and there are a myriad of challenges about us. And, and I don't mean the challenge of what are you going to eat for lunch today? I don't know about you, but in my family, which are up there, that's a challenge for us. What are we going to eat for lunch? But we're not talking about the challenge of lunch today. We're talking about, I feel like, one of the most difficult and daunting challenges of our day, and that is living as exiles in an ungodly world, that we live in a really tough place. We live in an ungodly world, and, uh, but the challenge is not new. This is not a new challenge. This has been going on since the beginning of time, but especially here in the early church. We're going to look at 1 Peter chapter 1, and Peter writes this letter to the early church, and they're facing this same challenge. Here's the thing. The letter was written to Gentile believers who were scattered across this region, and they're facing persecution because of their faith. So I want to show you in Scripture. I hope you have your Bible. You can turn open to 1 Peter chapter 1. Let's look at the scripture. It says this, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ. He, he's the author of the, the letter. He lets you know that. Two, God's elect exiles scattered throughout the provinces of Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, who have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through the sanctifying work of the Spirit to be obedient to Jesus Christ and sprinkled with his blood. Grace and peace be yours in abundance. So I want you to notice who it's written to. It's written to these elect exiles, these strangers, these foreigners, this dispersed and scattered people of God. Church, these, these people were folks who had committed their lives to Christ, and now they were scattered in these provinces. I want you to see it on the screen where they're at. So this is Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, and they're not neighboring areas to Jerusalem. You see where Jerusalem is, bottom right-hand corner, Palestine? He's sending this letter up there to what is now modern-day Turkey. And it's interesting the way that he listed out the groups. They were probably listed in a circular route for the courier that would have taken the letter from one province to the next. But I also want you to see what Peter is doing in this this introduction to this letter, it's just some rich, rich theology in this. Basically, he's saying, hey, look, we know this is not your physical home. And he's also saying, look, it's not these provinces, it's, but it's not even Israel. That's not your home. Your home now is an eternal home. It's a home in heaven. And he calls them exiles, strangers, foreigners in this land. You know the, the word in the Greek there? It carries the meaning of stay in a place as an alien or a foreigner. Stay there as an alien or a foreigner. And so I want you to think about exiles. 
All over the Old Testament, we see the exile happening for the people of God. Abraham, you remember he left his home and he's searching for his home. Where am I going to live? He was in exile. You remember the people of Israel, they were taken into captivity for 400 years into Egypt. They were exiles in a foreign land. Uh, Later on in their history, they were captured by the Babylonian Empire and they were removed from their home and they were taken away as exiles living in a foreign land. And now Peter uses that same language here and he calls them out and he says, hey, this is what is true of us. We're the people of God and we are looking forward to our home. And it's not this place. But he not not only says that, he calls them chosen. Did you see that in the text? He calls them chosen. But here's the interesting thing about this. These were not Jewish people he's writing to. These were Gentile Christians, and now they were being called chosen. Don't we see before that everyone that's called chosen were the people of Israel, the people of God? So the people that were not a people now become a people. Amen? that you weren't a people, that he's chosen you. Now you're a royal priesthood, as our pastor preached a couple weeks ago. And so I want why are we spending so much time on this introduction? I want you to apply this to your life. That's who we are, church. If the Father has called you out and you've trusted Jesus for your salvation, then you and I are in exile in this world. We're exiles, we're foreigners. We should be estranged from the things of this world. This world is no longer your home. And with the way things are going, that should be becoming more and more clear. This is not our home. We are exiles. My sister and brother-in-law, I talked to them this week. They live as foreigners in a foreign land. They live in Oaxaca, Mexico. They're missionaries there. And they've lived there about a year, a little over a year. And uh, we were talking about the differences between home and living in Oaxaca, Mexico. You know, they mentioned some things. They said the language is different, obviously. The culture is very different. You know, it's the lingo. They, there's sometimes they'll say something and they don't get it. Or, um, and it, what is acceptable is different. For, for he, us here, there may be one thing, but there, it's, it's just different. Some of you can relate to this because some of you have lived in a, a foreign context. The food is different. Who is in charge from a governmental standpoint is different. Maybe even from the home standpoint, it's just, it's just different. How you get to places, it's all different, isn't it? And I want you to relate that. Do you see the parallels? Living as a foreigner in a land We have a culture difference. We have a language difference. Who's in charge is different, isn't it? And so you think about our world. This is what what, uh, John said in 1 John chapter 2, because we live in the world, right? But this is what he said, do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in them. For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh The lust of our eyes and the pride of life comes not from the Father, but the world. The world and its desires pass away, but whoever does the will of God lives forever. So we have this world that we live in. We're foreigners here. And this is what Jesus said in John 17. This is his prayer for the disciples, his prayer for us. My prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of it. Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. 
As you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. Do you see this? Jesus is saying, hey, what's our relationship to be with this world? Because we're exiles. We're foreigners in this land because we have the world all around us. We're inundated by it. And we live in a world where we have so much access. You see, we have these little rectangular things that's in your pocket. Mine's sitting right down there. It may be in your purse. And we have access, all kinds of access to things that we would have never known or had access to before, but we have it now. You know, I, I love it. And, and thankful for the digital world that we live in. I mean, the other day, you guys wouldn't believe it. I made a shepherd's pie. And I don't cook. <laughs> and I didn't call my mom. I Googled it. And I decided I was going to pick the one that had the highest reviews. And then I followed the directions and amazing. It was actually pretty good. You can ask my kids, maybe. You think about, <laughs> they said, yeah, okay, that's good. There's so much access, though. I mean, how many times have you YouTube something so you could figure out how to repair it? Uh, I mean, we, we do all kinds of things, right? We, we, <laughs> we do this something sometimes at our house. Maybe you'll find this true in yours. Uh, we Google when we want to correct our spouse about something. <laughs> and we say, I told you you were wrong. Some fact about life. We stay connected to friends and family, don't we? It's great. There's so many good things here that we get to use this world. As David Kinnaman, who wrote a book called Faith for Exiles, he wrote this. He said, screens are portals to more rabbit holes than Alice could visit in many thousands of lifetimes. It's true. And many of us today turn to our devices to help us make sense of the world. Young people especially use it as counselors, entertainers, educators on all kinds of subjects, right? I mean, why have an awkward conversation with a parent or trusted adult when you can just ask your phone and no one will be the wiser? It's easy, it's efficient, and yet this kind of digital world we live in provides us these endless opportunities for sin too, right? Pitfalls, addictions, dead ends, and all kinds of ways to sin. It's the world and all of its trappings and it's at our fingertips, that's the world we live in. And a lot of times for you, it's a, it's a digital world that we live in. And so what do we do about that? Well, one option, you could just disconnect. You just totally connect, disconnect from it all. And that's an option because we make idols out of everything. And the truth is we probably do need to disconnect some. We probably do need to. I mean, to parents, I think it's a great idea for you to be involved in your kids' screen intake. You just need to be. We, we got to look at this. But here's, here's another option, though. And it's not just your kids. It's us, too, isn't it? <laughs> Parents, grandparents, it's us. We got we to be the example here. But here's the other option. Option is to learn how to live as exiles in this world that we live in. You know, look at what Jesus said. Look, we have to live in the world but not be of it. So how do we do that? What's, how do we do this? Because here's what I think we need to do, church. We've got to look at this challenge and we've got, we got to head it face on. To not just bury our heads and say, there's no problem, there's no issue here. How do we live as exiles in an ungodly world? Let's read on. Look at verse three. I want you to see this in the text. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, 
spoil or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. In all this, you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief and all kinds of trials. Amen. These have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in this, in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with inexpressible and glorious joy. For you are receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls. So there's a few things from this text I want you to see of how can we live as exiles in an ungodly world. The first thing is this, you have to be born again. There has to be new birth into a living hope. Did you see it there? He has given us a new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Did you know in this word, new birth, the focus is God's initiative in producing new life. He's producing new life. He is the giver of life. Did you know that no one ever takes credit for their own birth? (laughs) No one has ever said, look how I made myself born. We don't do that. That's ridiculous, right? We know that it's something that happens to us. New birth happens to us. See, Jesus said to John, uh, to Nicodemus in John chapter three, truly, truly, I tell you, if you are not born again, you will never see the kingdom of God. See, Jesus has taken dead things and he's brought about resurrection. It's about being resurrected through Jesus Christ. We got to have new birth. It begins with a decision point of, will I say yes to him? I remember in 1987, a long time ago, South Liberty Baptist Church, Sulphur Springs, Texas. I was sitting on the second row. My dad was preaching. The invitation time came and Holy Spirit was drawing my heart. I knew I needed Jesus that day. And in those orange covered pews, I gripped the back of that pew and held on for dear life. God was working in my heart, and I knew I needed to walk to the front and talk to my dad. It was like four steps. I couldn't do it. I held on. I was hopeful that by the end of the sermon, by the end of invitation time, God would leave me alone, but he didn't. And so after the sermon, after the invitation had ended, my dad walked to the back of the church, just greeting people as they were leaving. I grabbed his Bible and I walked to the back and began to circle him like a shark. <laughs> my dad was like, son, what's wrong with you? And I said, dad, I need, to, I need to ask Jesus in my life. So he stopped what he was doing. We walked down to the front. We sat on the front row. He walked me through the plan of salvation. He shared the gospel with me. And I prayed to receive Christ in that moment. It was the new birth that began in my life. And I have to ask you a question. Have have you given your life to Jesus? You can't live as an exile in this world. You can't be chosen out if you haven't received the gift of new life in Jesus. But the second thing is this. We live as exiles in an ungodly world by knowing where our inheritance is. Is coming. If you're a believer, you have this inheritance now. And inheritances are interesting, aren't they? Everyone's hoping to get one, <laughs> but it has nothing to do with you. You didn't do anything to, des- 
to earn an inheritance. All you did was you were close to someone. You had a father or a mother, someone that you knew that gives you an inheritance. But you look at this inheritance. This inheritance is what you receive as a reward for knowing Jesus as your Savior. You look at what kind of inheritance it is, though. Do you see that? It's an inheritance that will not spoil, fade, or perish. Spoil, fade, or perish. I, I kind of laughed when I was reading that. I, I think about leftovers with that. <laughs> Leslie and I have a different definition of spoil, fade, and perish when it comes to leftovers. Uh, my definition of what's spoiled, what's perishing, or what's faded uh, lasts a lot longer than hers. And so I think about that in our lives, but what we see here is that our inheritance doesn't spoil. It doesn't fade. It doesn't perish. And why? Because there's no sin to corrupt it. There is no deterioration of the inheritance because it's kept in heaven for you. It's waiting for you. So what I know, look, church, is we have an inheritance and it's not going away. We have to know, like, if we're going to live as exiles in an ungodly world, we have an inheritance that's waiting. All these are part of the root of what we can know in our lives. Colossians chapter 3 says it this way, whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive, check it out, the inheritance as your reward, you are serving the Lord Christ. You see, when we understand we've got an inheritance waiting for us, we serve Jesus and the needs of the kingdom. We don't live for ourselves. So how do we live as exiles in an ungodly world? We live by faith. We live by faith. See, faith is belief. It's believing in not only something, but someone, the only one who can save you. Did you notice it in the text? who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation. Faith is a shield. Isn't that so appropriate? Ephesians chapter six, that's what it's talked about. The, the faith, it's the shield of faith. And what's, what's, what's this about the shield of faith? It's not by our power, it's not by our strength. He's shielding it for us. What is he shielding? He's shielding our salvation. That's what he's shielding. Salvation is now, and he's saying, look, one day it's going to be revealed. You know that that's what you get? You get salvation now, but one day you're going to see it fully. And the Lord Jesus is shielding that faith for us. And so, you, listen, you may have difficult days, but just wait. Just wait. There's coming a day when because you believed, because you had faith, did you see what it says, which is more valuable than gold? He's going to prove to give us just what we needed, which is what? Salvation. <laughs> it's salvation. And church, if we're going to live as exiles in the world, we've got to live by faith. We've got to live by faith. But listen, it's not easy to do. You know what's easy to do? What's easy is to live by your good works instead of by faith. What's easy is for you to live by your own standards instead of by faith. What's easy is to, for you to live by your own schedule instead of by faith. What's easy is for you to live by your own desires instead of living by faith. Hebrews 11.6 says it this way, look, without faith, it is impossible to please God. But do you know what it says after that? Because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. We can't please God if we're not living by 
faith. So let me ask you a question. When was the last time you made a decision in faith? When was the last time that you listened to the Holy Spirit just as our pastor preached last week? The Holy Spirit shows you what to do and you walked in and you said, yes, that's what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna walk by faith in this. Even if it's difficult, even if it's hard, I'm gonna do it because sometimes here's what happens, church. We can find ourselves going to this autopilot default mode of just going through the motions. Of whatever makes the most sense to me, I'm just going to make this decision based on all these other factors instead of walking by faith. We see that sometimes in uh, football. (laughs) I love this time of year. Football season is one of my favorite seasons of the year. We have a a league. It's called the Upward uh, Flag Football League. Kindergarten through seventh graders play every Saturday morning. We've got a few more weeks left. And I love watching those kids develop And I love coaching, uh, and especially coaching quarterbacks. And some of you guys probably in the room played this position. I never played the quarterback position, but I love to analyze it and watch it. And one of the things is, as you're playing quarterback, you can find yourself going through the autopilot mode. Like, you know the play, you know what to do, and you're just going to, you know where you want to throw the ball, and so you're just automatically going to go in that direction. Instead of looking at, okay, what's the defense doing? (laughs) What's going to happen here? How should I do this? Because when we get into autopilot mode, mistakes happen. And a lot of times we're helping these guys to think about, like, what is it that you need to do next? And I think about it, it's like the Holy Spirit just working in our lives. Like, are you listening? Are you living by faith? Are you living by your own desires? Church, if we're going to live as exiles in an ungodly world, we got to live by faith. It's the only way that we can do this. And chances are, if you're in control and you're calling all the shot, then then chances are you're not probably walking by faith. But here's what's at stake. Listen to this. If we live for ourselves instead of by faith, we begin to live more and more like citizens of this world rather than strangers and exiles in an ungodly world. See, faith and salvation are at the root of our lives is living as exiles. We're going to have that root. But it's not only that, then there's, there's fruit. So this is in this passage of Scripture in verse 13. He shows us what the fruit of our lives should look like. Look at verse 13. Therefore, with minds that are alert and fully sober, set your hope on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed at his coming. As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, be holy because I am holy. Isn't that great here? Here's the deal. The imperative of this part of the scripture is to set your hope fully on the grace. Set your hope. And you do that by staying sober-minded, by having your minds fully alert and ready. He's saying that. Look, get up. Wake up. Get ready. Here's the fruit that's going to come from your life if you have the root of Christ in you. So the first thing he mentions, do you see it in the text? Walking in obedience. It's a fruit. The fruit of our lives should be walking in obedience. Parents in the room, isn't that what you want from your children? Just do what you know to do. Walk in obedience. Oh, church. Oh, that we could follow and walk in obedience just as Jesus did. Yet conformity, isn't that the second part of it? Conformity is so easy in our world. Instead of obedience, a lot of times we just want to conform. 
And it's easy to do because all you have to do is just be like everyone else. Do what everyone else does. And the surprising thing about conformity is it happens subtly. And we don't even notice it a lot of times. You see what it says in the text? Do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. You didn't know then. Don't live in conformity. I love Romans chapter 12, verse 2. It says, do not be conformed any longer to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. We can't be conformed to this world. We've got to be different. If we're going to live as exiles in this world, we cannot look like the world. But another thing is that we have to be holy. Do you see that second part? To be holy is to be set apart. To be set apart. In the Old Testament, I think about the tabernacle. There were these items that they used in the tabernacle. And they didn't use those for everyday items. They had tables and silverware and all these different items in the tabernacle. And it said they were holy because they were set apart for God's use and God's purposes. Peter quotes this verse out of Leviticus chapter 11, verse 44, to be holy as I am holy. And that, if you look back at that text, what they're talking about is to be set apart from sin and impurity, but to be set apart to God. Yet we have a tendency, church, to downplay holiness. We make justification in our lives about the way that we're living, and we say, it's okay, it's not a big deal. We'll just go along with the flow Families, dads, moms, it's okay to live set apart. Help your children see we need to be set apart from the world. We can't live like the rest of the world. Do you see how that translates into how we deal with the digital world that we live in? With these screens that we have? See, a fruit of living an exile life in an ungodly world is that we will be holy. Not just that, look at verse 17. Let's continue on the text. Since you call on a father who judges each person's work impartially, live out your time as foreigners here. Did you see that? In reverent fear, for you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your ancestors. It wasn't that. But with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect, he was chosen before the creation of the world, but was revealed in these last times for your sake. Through him you believe in God who raised him from the dead and glorified him so your faith and your hope are in God. You see that next fruit? We have to live in reverent fear of God. Reverent fear of God. You know, growing up in church, I I struggled with this idea of fear of God. What does that even mean? I often thought, should I be scared about what God might do to me if I get out of line? Because I got out of line a lot. I don't think so. Here's what I think it is. I think church, it's looking at God and saying, God, I see you. And I see me. And you are worthy of all my praise. And I bow before you. You are worthy. And I am not. Reverent fear of God. Let me give you just some markers of a life marked out by reverent fear. These are three things you can write them on your sermon notes. They're not on there. The first thing is this, is that Jesus will be your first love. Jesus will be your first love. That's, that's a marker for you to know, like, am I living in reverent fear of God? Jesus will be your first love. There's so many things to love in this life. 
And there's so many things to love first, but Jesus will be your first love. Second thing is this, your faith and your hope will be in God. That was in the text. Did you see that? Your faith and your hope will be in God, not on your bank account, not in your 401k, not in a relationship. It'll be placed upon him. It's a marker for living a reverent fear of God. A third is this, is that you will leverage your life to bring people to him. You will so see that, man, there is a need for people to know him, that I will do whatever it takes to leverage my life for the kingdom so people can know Jesus. Listen, church, if we're going to live as exiles in an ungodly world, there's a fourth fruit. I want you to see it in the text. It's in verse 22 and just down below that. Now that you have purified yourselves by obeying the truth so that you have sincere love for each other, love one another deeply from the heart. For you have been born again, not a perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and enduring word of God. For all people are like, are, are like grass and their glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord endures forever. Did you see the fourth fruit of living as exiles in an ungodly world? We've talked about being obedient. We've talked about being set apart. We've talked about fear of God. The fourth is that we sincerely love one another deeply from the heart. It's a fruit. John chapter 13 tells us this, that by this, everyone will know that you are my disciples by the way that you love one another. Church, what would it look like if we really did this, if we really loved one another? There's so much hate in the world. We should look so different from the world. That should be a fruit from our lives. And here's what I, I get excited about. I love our church, and I think it's happening. I think there's a lot of deep, felt, heartfelt love, sincere love that happens in this place. And I hope you experience that. But I know we need to grow. I know that we need to take another step. Can we do that, church? And why do we do it? Look at this. Why do we do it? Because we've been born again. Our love for one another has to flow from the joy of our salvation. Otherwise, it won't be genuine. It'll be made up. But if it's flowing from our lives, from the genuine love of Jesus and the joy of our salvation, man, there's this contagious love that happens, this deep, heartfelt love that happens. It's incredible. Did you see what it says there? We can praise God because our salvation doesn't depend on ourselves. It's not about me. It's all based on, what did you see? The living word of God. It's all about the living word of God. Here's the deal. We have a limited amount of time to love. <laughs> My friend, uh, Jonathan and Iana Hills, our friends, that's a, a term. I don't know if they came up with it. We say that back and forth to each other. Hey, we got a limited amount of time to love. And that's true, isn't it? Did you see the end of the text? We're like grass. Here today, gone tomorrow. We're like grass. That we, maybe, maybe you got a flower. <laughs> and you've been, oh man, your glory. You got the glory right now. But did you see what it says? We don't last long. We don't. And even the best and the brightest of us fade soon. I've lived long enough now. I've seen the greatest of all time in this sport or that, that place, and they're fading. 
And that's the way our lives are. We have a limited amount of time to love. But here's what's not fading. Did you see it? The word. The word has never faded and it never will, church. It is the truth of God and it is speaking truth to you this morning. And when our root is in Christ and our fruit will reflect it, we will live for someone, Jesus Christ, and we'll live for something, the kingdom, that's so much greater than the world has to offer. We have this opportunity, church. And so, church, I have to ask you a question. Are you living as exiles in an ungodly world? Or do you feel like, man, I just feel like I've just become more of a citizen here? Here's the deal. I would imagine there are many in the room that are like me that struggle with this. You get entangled by the things of this world and you kind of go into that autopilot mode, the default maybe mode of just making decisions based on yourself. You're not walking in faith. You're not walking in holiness. The fruit of your life may not be reflecting Jesus Christ. And maybe you could say in the room, man, I'm a believer. I've, I've trusted Christ, but I've just not been walking with him. And let me just encourage you, just don't tune out. Tune in just for a moment here. Can we just take a step and say, you know what? I need to repent. I need to turn and walk in a new direction. And here's what I, I would bet in a room this size that God is working in your heart, in your life. For somebody in this room, God is working in you right now. and He's shown you like, that's what you need to do. But for some of you in the room, you have never placed your trust in Christ. You've, you don't have the root of Jesus because you're just like me as that kid hanging on to the back of the pew. And you've been hanging on and hanging on and God's not letting you go. And even this morning, he's speaking to your heart. Would you just let go today and say yes? Would you take a step and say, I, I've been living as a citizen of this world, but I'm ready to be in exile. I'm ready to be called out, and I'm saying yes today to whatever God is calling me to. I want to pray for us. And could we just all pray together in this moment, ask God to reveal what he wants to do in our hearts and our lives. Let's pray. Father, we come to you today, and we're asking for your direction, Lord. In this moment, this is your, your time, and we want to hear from you. We want to be obedient to what you call us to do. And so for those in this room, Lord, that you have spoken to and they know what to do, I pray for the courage to do it, to walk in obedience, to get ready to take that step. So we give you this time.